welcome to Bethesda Broadcast, the podcast of Bethesda Church in Huron, South Dakota. Today marks the beginning of a new series called Managing God's Resources. In this series, Pastor Roy will be looking at what the Bible says about how we are to use the resources that God has given us. Today's message will be from Romans chapter 12. We encourage you to open up your Bibles and follow along with Pastor Roy as he kicks off this great new series. house today with you and we are excited to launch into a new series today on managing God's resources and for the next few weeks uh, we will be talking about this topic um, as we work our way through understanding that everything we have is a gift from God and so when we think about in terms of giving worship that is one of the things that God has given to us he's created us for worship He's created us in such a way that we will worship something or someone. John Ortberg wrote a book recently, and in that book he said, if you had to summarize your life in six words, what would they be? Several years ago, an online magazine asked that question. It was inspired by a possibly legendary challenge posed to Ernest Hemingway to write a six-word story that resulted in a classic, For Sale, Baby Shoes Never Worn. The magazine was flooded with so many responses that the site almost crashed, and the responses were eventually turned into a book, not quite what I was planning is filled with six-word memoirs by writers famous and obscure. And here are some of the memoirs that range from funny to ironic to inspiring to heartbreaking. Here they are, six words. One tooth, one cavity, life's cruel. Savior complex makes for many disappointments. Cursed with cancer, blessed with friends. It was written by a nine-year-old boy. The psychic said I'd be richer. This one was only five words. One long train to darkness. Tombstone won't say had health insurance. Not a good Christian, but trying. Thought I would have more impact. The challenge of the six-word limitation is its demand to focus on what matters most, to capture briefly something of significance. How would you summarize your life? Or last year? Or maybe this upcoming year? In six words. After a cancer diagnosis and enduring 17 months of chemo and radiation, Robin Quivers, who was co-host to radio show host Howard Stern, claims to have discovered the meaning of life. In a recent 2013 issue of Rolling Stone magazine, she said, what I learned is very simple, that your life belongs to you. And it really doesn't matter what you do with it, but it should be what you want to do with it, not what mother and father or friends or society want. It should be I-directed. And that's the only purpose for being here, in her words. However, I think the Apostle Paul would have something different to say 
In Romans chapter 12, if you'll turn your Bibles there, Paul goes through an entire discourse of explaining this whole idea of coming down to Romans 12 of why we should be involved with our lives worshiping God and giving God worship. He says in Romans 12 in verse 1, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. He starts off with the word, therefore, and if we went back to Romans chapter 2, there would be another therefore that speaks back to chapter 1. And if we were to look at the first two and a half chapters of Romans, we would see some of the darkest pages contained in the Bible. Because what is contained in those first two and a half chapters is all about the sinfulness of man, the depravity of man. And so in chapter 2, he's pointing back to chapter 1, saying, therefore, in light of the fact that we are depraved, we are sinful, we are wicked people. And then he goes to Romans chapter 5 and he says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He's pointing back to Romans chapter 4. He is saying that we are justified by Jesus Christ, not by observing the works of the law. It is only by Christ and Christ alone that we are justified. When he gets to Romans chapter 12, the therefore is pointing back to over the last 315 verses. The first 11 chapters to tell us that we are sinful, we are depraved, but God in his mercy sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross that we could be forgiven of our sins and cleansed in a right relationship with God. And so, in essence, he talks about man's complete ruin and sin and God's perfect remedy in Christ, as Donald Barnhouse would say. So here's the first part we need to consider when we think about giving God worship. My worship is prompted by the mercy of God. In other words, if you and I do not comprehend and understand the mercy of God, I will be very limited on my worship. If I do not grasp the significance of the mercy of God rescuing me from the ruin of my sin, I will not give God proper worship. It cannot be. When we think about mercy, it is to have compassion or pity on, particularly towards someone who is suffering. And when you think about suffering, we are suffering because of sin in this world. If we were to take time to interview people, I know of a, a friend that I knew back when I was a single who married a, a beautiful young gal in our singles group, and they were married for five years before her life was snuffed out by a drunk driver. It's only the mercy of God that we are here. It's only the mercy of God that we can have a relationship with Jesus. And if we don't understand that, if we take that for granted, our worship is going to be empty, futile, and meaningless until we understand the mercy of God. Notice, oops, let me go back here. My interpretation of gains and losses 
will be determined by my view of God's mercy and grace. And I put both words in there because grace is giving me something I do not deserve and mercy is withholding from me something I do deserve. In other words, God gives me his love, his compassion. That's his grace coming toward me. He's giving me salvation. He's giving me redemption. But he's also withholding punishment, eternal judgment because of his mercy. And I do not understand the gains and losses in my life if I do not understand the mercy and grace of God. Because I have heard of people who have lost a loved one and they shake their fist at God and they are angry toward God because God took something precious from them. But here's what they don't understand. God could have taken more. And the only reason he didn't is because of his mercy. And as a matter of fact, we forget that everything we have has been given to us by God. What do I deserve? Nothing. What do I have? Something. I deserve nothing. I deserve eternal hell, eternal wrath, and eternal judgment. And that's what you deserve, except for the mercy of God. And that's what we have to understand because when it comes down to offering our bodies as a living sacrifice, we can't begin to do that if we do not comprehend the mercy of God. And so we have to understand my financial gains, my career gains, my intellectual gains, Every gain that I have is from the mercy and grace of God. My physical losses, loss of hearing. I'm getting a little harder hearing in my old age. I always have to ask my wife, what was that? <laughs> what was that? Uh, loss of sight, the glasses. Uh, loss of position, loss of memory, loss of financial resources. That is also because of the mercy of God. We forget that he's involved in all of that. Here's how the Apostle Paul said it when he was thinking about his legalistic stand before God. In Philippians 3, 7, Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I counted everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not, look, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. In other words, he's saying, I can't attain reconciliation with this holy God, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And, let me add the words, mercy. Because God reveals himself, that's his mercy. And now we're going to look at somebody and, and see how that operates in their life. My attitude towards sin will influence my view of God's mercy. If I do not have a high view of sin and how wicked and sinful I am, I will not have a high view of the mercy of God. So therefore, for me to increase my view of God's mercy, I have to increase my view and understanding of how horrible and heinous sin is. It cost God his son, Jesus Christ, who was perfect and sinless, to die on a cross. And God gave us his mercy. You see, if Satan can get me to downplay my sin, cause me to believe my sin is not a serious problem, I will have a distorted view of the mercy of God. 
And there are so many people who have a distorted view of the mercy of God. Satan's goal is distortion. He does not want me to see life for how God meant me to see it. He attempted to see, deceive Adam and Eve into sin. He wanted them to have a different attitude about their sin so they would have a distorted view of God's mercy. So here's another way of saying it. A wrong attitude towards sin will blind me from seeing the mercy of God. Let's think for a moment about the Apostle Paul. What was he like before he came to Christ? He hated the church. He persecuted the church. He had believers arrested and put in jail. He even had them executed. He hated the church. He did everything he could to oppose it and mock the church. That was his attitude. So what was his attitude towards sin? Toward his own sin? He wasn't concerned at all. But let's look for a moment what happened after his conversion. When the mercy of God broke in on Paul when he was on his way to haul other believers off to prison and that bright light shone from heaven and knocked him off his animal and he was struck blind and all of a sudden now he understands that, you know what, I am a deep, wicked, horrible sinner. In fact, here's what he says. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom what? I am the worst. Do you know why he can write about the mercy of God? Because he has a high view of his sin. The mercy of God. It's the only thing that will keep me out of hell. And you out of hell is the mercy and grace of God. I can't keep myself out and you can't keep yourself out. It's the mercy of God. Here's what he says in 16, the next verse. But for that very reason... Because of his sin, the worst sinner, I was what? Shown mercy. So that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Wow. Paul had a dramatic change in his attitude towards sin, and that change in his attitude towards sin changed his view of the mercy of God. So if you don't understand the mercy of God, you better think about your sin and how horrible and wicked it is that Jesus went to the cross for my sin. And if I would have been the only person on the face of the globe, Jesus would have gone to the cross for Roy Burkett's sin. That's what I can't comprehend. If you would have been the only person on the face of the globe... Christ would have died for you. That is incredible mercy. And so what does Paul say? Therefore, I urge you, brothers, Christians, believers, in view of God's mercy. Do you understand the high view of the mercy of God? It's crucial. And I want to just mention David for a minute, his attitude toward his own sin. He sins with Bathsheba. He commits adultery. He commits a horrible, heinous sin. And then he's broken over his sin. And here's what he says. My attitude towards sin will influence my view of God's mercy. Let me back up. I don't have these verses here, but let me read them to you on the overhead. Have mercy on me, Psalm 51, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion... Then he says, blot out my transgressions, 
Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Do you see he's emphasizing his sin? He calls it sin. He calls it transgression. He calls it iniquity. And he says, it's always before me. I can't get rid of it. I can't shake it. He says, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. But because of that horrible sin, God have mercy on my soul. You see, there are so many people who rationalize and minimize their sin that they don't need the mercy of God. They're going to wash away their own sin. They're going to do good things. They're going to give money to the poor. They're going to help people and serve and wash away their sin that they don't need the mercy of God. You have minimized your sin and don't realize the seriousness of your sin. That that will not remedy your sin. It will not wash it away. You stand before God condemned and guilty and dirty. And only the blood of Jesus can make you clean. And only bowing at his mercy will wash away your sin. David realizes the sin and wickedness of his own heart. He realizes his only hope for forgiveness and the cleansing of his sin is the mercy of God. And if we went back to Romans chapter 1 and, and through the beginning of chapter 3, here's what we would see. Paul says all Gentiles are sinners. He goes on to say all Jews are sinners. He goes on to say all people are sinners. Hence, we need Christ's death on the cross to justify us. So he says in chapter 5, therefore being justified, how? By faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God. And therefore when we get to chapter 12, he says in view of God's mercy that his son was sent to the cross for us, we need to think of his mercy in light of what Jesus gave us on our behalf. There was, it was reported that when a Hindu first read the opening chapters of Romans, he nodded his head and said, the writer of this pamphlet lived in India. Paul did not live in India. But he did understand the wickedness and the sinfulness of man's heart. And that it is incurably sick. You see... We tend to think that God's mercy is only needed for the murderer, the hardened criminal. It's for serial killers. It's for child abusers. It's for the man who gets drunk every night. It's for the man who is addicted to crack cocaine. It's for the rebellious teenager. It's for the parent who is beside themselves. Let me tell you who else it's for. It's for the faithful church attender. It is for the Sunday school teacher. It is for the nursery worker. It is for the volunteers in Awana. It's for the members of the board. It's for the worship leader. It's for the youth pastor. It's for the senior pastor. It is for all people because we are all sinners and condemned before a holy God and only his mercy can save us. That's why Paul wrote, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. And I emphasize this and I take time to explain this because 
We tend to skip over that, and then we expect people to give their lives in service to God. And if you do not understand the mercy of God, you're not going to give your life in service to him. You need to grasp this truth first. And then the second part is almost automatic. Because here's what he says. I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to do what? To offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Living sacrifices. My body is presented as an offering to the person of God. Why? Because I understand his mercy. <laughs> he gave his all for me. I'm going to give my all back to him. Let's look at the necessity of sacrifices. To be in a right relationship with God, the people were required to offer animal sacrifices. We can read about that in the Old Testament. Over and over, they had to bring sacrifices time and time again for their sin as a sin offering and bring those sacrifices to God. Now, what's interesting about those sacrifices is this. Every animal that was brought was alive. There were no dead animals brought to God to offer as a sacrifice because you cannot sacrifice a dead animal. It's already dead. This is crucial. Why? Because God says that we are to present our bodies. What kind of sacrifice? A living sacrifice. I have to do it while I'm alive. <laughs> I can't do it after I'm dead. I have to do it while I'm alive. The only sacrifice God accepts is a living sacrifice. But here's the thing. What kind of animal sacrifice was it? It had to be clean. It had to be without blemish. It had to be without spot. That's what God wants me to be. You see, the Bible says that I am dead in trespasses and sins. That's what I'm born in. If, if, if sin makes me dead and I have not been regenerated, saved by the power of God, I cannot offer my body to God for service because I'm dead. God does not accept a dead sacrifice. He only accepts a living sacrifice. Therefore, he will only accept the sacrifice of the one who has accepted Jesus Christ as his personal Savior and is walking in fellowship with God. If we are not been regenerated by the power of God and I'm not walking in fellowship with God, I cannot possibly give my body as a living sacrifice to God. Do you follow me? That is crucial for us to understand. But it's also crucial that we understand if we have been regenerated by God, the only proper response out of gratitude for what God has done is to give my life to him in service. I can't help but give my life to him. These sacrifices were not optional. They were required. They did not get to pick and choose when they got to offer them or how they offered them. God instituted all of that. Therefore, the offering of our bodies need to be done in light of God's offering to us. Here's what he says in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. When he says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, when I give that offering, it is a gift to God. It's the gift that he wants. So many people think, well, if I throw a few dollars in the offering plate, I've given my offering to God. You know what? God doesn't want your wallet. You know, wait a minute. He doesn't? Not first. He wants you. 
He wants me. He wants all of us. The wallet is useless if I haven't given myself to God. And we're going to be talking in this series about giving out of our wallet to God. But that's not what comes first. That's an overflow of my worship of God and giving myself to God. I give freely and spontaneously out of my wallet because God has my body. He has my life. It's His. It's all His. And so I learned to give it to Him. He wants my voice. He wants my tongue. He wants my eyes. He wants my mind. He wants my hands. He wants my feet. It's a living sacrifice. It's a body sacrifice. I can't give him anything else. And you know what God uses in his service? Bodies. <laughs> Try to serve without a body. It's impossible. You've got to have a body to serve. And that's what we have to give. God calls some people with bodies to go to a particular place to serve him, to lead others, to share the message of the gospel with others, to teach and train others to become disciples of Christ. You see, before one could slaughter a bull, it first had to be turned over, and its legs were tied up, and then they would take a knife and slit the throat. It was a total sacrifice, but it was a living sacrifice that was willing to die. And what does God say? Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It says in Proverbs 15:8, "The Lord detests the sacrifice of the wicked, but the prayer of the upright pleases him." When I talk about a living sacrifice, here's what I mean: how I spend my existence. Did you hear me? A living sacrifice is how I spend my existence. What am I giving my life to? If someone were to write a biography of my life, what would the pages contain? Is my life a constant sacrifice as opposed to an intermittent sacrifice like they gave with the animals? I remember, and one of the privileges of pastoring is to see someone who gets the truth and it lights up their life and it changes them. There's nothing more exciting to see that. And I remember over 15 years ago, as I was putting this sermon together, I remember over 15 years ago performing a wedding for two single adults who got saved. Or I, mean, I mean, they were already saved. They were in our ministry, and they met each other. And I did their premarital counseling, and they got married, and they wanted to have a life that honored the Lord. And when we were home, not this past time, actually, but a year ago, back in Virginia... I saw both of them in the church. And not only were they in the church with their family, they both had Awana shirts on on Wednesday night. What's that say? Living sacrifice. You see, the truth of the matter is, we have on Wednesday night 150-plus kids here, don't we? Screaming, clamoring, 
And there's activity all over the place, but here's the thing. If we do not have living sacrifices who are giving their body to serve those 150 kids, we close the doors. We close them. If we have Sunday school on Sunday morning and we don't have bodies to teach those little kids about Jesus and read the Bible with them and teach them how to pray and, and teach them about the love of God and the mercy of God and the grace of God, we can close the classroom doors and shut them down because we don't have any living sacrifices. If David and Jen are not willing to go over to the Middle East and share Christ with the Muslims who are dying and headed for a Christless eternity, we can take their picture off the board and there'll be a void. Or if we go down a little further down the hall and we see Craig and Fabiano in France trying to learn the French language and learn the French culture to reach people for Christ, if they are not willing as to be a living sacrifice, we take their picture down and there's no newsletter to read. There's no missions budget to have. Jim and Debbie Schoberg in France as well, if they are not willing to go and share the gospel with people who are lost and be a living sacrifice, we take the picture down and pretty soon we have no missionary wall left because no one's willing to go. I think about the Plus One Guidance Center. Here, a ministry in town, Mary Helen, heading that up, and other volunteers in our church who serve in that ministry. But if they're not willing, living sacrifices to serve, we have no plus one guidance center. Think about the ministry that is lost. If we don't have living sacrifices to give worship to God... It's crucial. We still have room for servants. I think about our boards that meet every month. Sometimes those meetings get long, Daryl. <laughs> they do. They get tiring. We get tired. But you know what? We have bodies around the table who take the ministry seriously and take responsibility and leadership for the ministry with our deacons and elders, that if we did not have living sacrifices, we would have no boards to give direction to the church. You see what it all comes down to? Everybody points at somebody else. Well, they'll do it. Oh, he'll, he'll do it. Oh, they'll do it. We have people serving in the kitchen, cooking for Awana. We have somebody cutting the grass. I mean, you start adding up all the things that people do. We have people doing maintenance work to keep the lights on. We get lights that burn out. I mean, all those little things, but it takes living sacrifices to do those things, to make it what it is. Let's look at the nature of sacrifices. They are to be holy. Holy, because that's what he says, in view of God's mercy... Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. How? Holy. Pure. Without blemish. Without spot. Whole. Complete. That's what God does when he saves us. He takes the broken pieces of our lives, he puts them together, and he makes us a whole person. Someone who is outside of Christ is not a whole person. Their life is broken. It doesn't work in shambles. God brings 
life to that person, that dead body. He brings life to it, spiritual life. So they can offer themselves as a living sacrifice, but it has to be holy. It needs to be in fellowship with God. You see, some people serve in church and live like the devil the rest of the week. <laughs> that is not the living sacrifice that God wants. They, they have a secret thing over here that, man, I hope somebody doesn't find out about this because if they do, man, I'm in trouble. No. Holy. Seeking to honor the Lord, giving him of myself, honoring him with my life, separated from sin, consecrated to God, devoted to his service. I'm growing in holiness, unconfessed sin, make our worship and service unacceptable to God. Engaging in activity that is contrary to God's word would make our worship and service unacceptable to God. That's why Paul writes in 2 Timothy 2.21, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Not only holy, but they are to be pleasing to God. What did the author of Hebrews write in Hebrews 11, the faith chapter? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So this living sacrifice operates out of faith in the mercy and grace of God that I've been redeemed, I've been regenerated, and the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's my motivation. Pleasing to God. Paul Tripp wrote these words in Instruments of the Hands of the Redeemer, and I, I love this. He says, worship is not just something we do. It defines who we are. You cannot divide, he said, human beings into those who worship and those who do not. Everybody worships. It's not just a matter of what or whom we serve. And he said, because we are worshipers by nature, we always do one of three things. We either give proper worship to God, we serve something else, or we worship ourselves, demanding to be the center of our own universe. He goes on to say, holy and pleasing to God, this is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And here's what he says about this. My mind is purged by the word of God. I can't have a clean mind by watching television, uh, by just reading any old book, it's this book that washes my mind and cleanses it. How often do I need it? Often. Often. I need to think about it daily. Why? Because I am daily bombarded with impure thoughts. I don't know about you, but I am. And if you're not, I want to know your secret. <laughs> bombarded. 
My mind is purged by the Word of God. I have to be in it. I have to be renewed in my mind. So that why? So that I will view the mercy of God and never forget how merciful He has been toward me. And that I am to give my body as a living sacrifice. Otherwise, I start taking back my life and I use it for my own personal means and agenda. And that's not what God has in mind. We have to be reminded that we are not conformed to the world. We are not, in other words, squeezed into the same pattern in which the world operates. How does the world operate? Well, there's about three or four things that trip us all up, all of us. Fame, fortune, power, and stuff. Fame, fortune, power, and stuff we all struggle with. We all want to be known. There's nothing wrong. You know, and there's, in and of themselves, there's nothing wrong with any of those because God has raised people up to be famous believers. He has raised people up with great fortune and wealth. He has raised people up into positions of power and leadership and great influence. He's allowed people to have a lot of things. None of those in and of themselves are wrong at all. And so if you are blessed with those things, as long as you recognize and keep it in perspective that it's the mercy of God that you have them, and you use them for God's glory, there's nothing wrong with them at all. God blesses people with those things, and I'm glad he does, because they bless others. But fame, fortune, power, and stuff trip us up in a big way. You know, when I talked about gains and losses earlier, many of us struggle more with the gain than we do the loss. Think about it. When I get gain, it's easy to forget God. Look at the Israelites. We don't have time to talk about that anymore. Secondly, we are transformed by renewing our mind. Transformed comes from two... uh, uh, a big word here which uh, is a word where we get the word metamorphosis and so if you break it down meta change of place or condition God changes us and morphu to form to change one's form he's saying we undergo a deep interchange from the inside out God changes us because where is the corruption? It's in my heart. What needs change? My heart. He, he relates that to the mind. The mind and the heart are often interchangeable. It's, it's the who of who we are. It's the us. It's that decision-making faculty. It's my will. My drives, my motivation is transformed. And, and when my mind is renewed, now I want to give my body as a living sacrifice to the Lord. And when it comes to the other resources that we're going to talk about, I will give those to God, not out of guilt. No. Gratitude. Because he owns it all. I close with this. Two instruments for authentic worship. We talked about them. A surrendered body. He doesn't need somebody fighting against his will. And I can tell you, his will is not always easy to follow. 
Because when I first heard about South Dakota, I just said, I didn't know anybody wants to go there. <laughs> I mean, that wasn't, that wasn't necessarily easy when I heard that message. I'm like, wait a minute. I know there's somebody who probably wants to go there, but I don't know them. <laughs> a surrendered body. God, I am a blank check for you to write. And see, when we take that attitude, that means if God strikes me with an illness or he does something to me that I don't think is right or fair or just, I forget, wait a minute, God, I surrendered my life to you to bring glory to you however you see fit. My life is to be a testimony of worship, a surrendered body, and a transformed mind. Those are the instruments of worship. And that's why God works in our lives to bring us to that place. And Paul says in Romans 14, 18, whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. Let's stand for a word of prayer. As you stand here this morning with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, just by way of quick review, what's your view of the mercy of God? <laughs> Do you understand, what is your view of his mercy? And I guess by saying that, what's your view of your sin? What's the attitude of your heart toward your sin? That will tell you your view of God's mercy, how much we need it. And I'm thankful for that reminder because I forget often about God's mercy. I think about, I, you know, I, I think back over my life and things that could have been so different in my life, but it was the mercy of God. I made some dumb decisions, just dumb. And then you think, man, thank you, God, for your mercy. Thank you for your mercy. I could be in such a different place if it wasn't for the mercy of God. And so maybe you're here this morning and your life is, is not what, where you want it to be and it's not what you want it to be. And you, know, and you know, most importantly, it's not what God wants it to be. I appeal to you on the basis of God's mercy. Would you receive it by faith? Bring the broken pieces of your life, humble yourself, and say, God, I need your mercy. Like David said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Please don't walk out the door and neglect the mercy of God. Would you right there in your seat say, God, I need your mercy. I need your grace. I need your forgiveness in my life. Forgive me of the mess I've made of my life. And if there are specific things that you have done that is contrary to the will of God, confess those to him right now where you are standing. Say, God, I need you. I, I, I need to be saved from my sin. And maybe you don't even fully comprehend what that means. I'll be willing to meet with you after church and talk with you and show you from Scripture and pray with you. But you know what? It requires humility on your part. Say, I need this in my life. But God will meet you where you are as he has thousands of others. And then secondly, if you understand his mercy, 
How are you doing at giving your body as a living sacrifice? Because when we get into managing God's resources, we are not going to manage his resources if we have not given him ourselves first. It's the foundation to everything that flows out of our life. Are you willing to place yourself in the offering plate? Say, God, I give you my mind, my body, my tongue, my voice, my hands, my feet to be used by you. You see, some of you need to be in the Ambassadors for Christ class tonight. Because you have the gift of teaching and you need to be equipped and trained, but you've got to give your body to it and your mind to it. Some of the men need to come to the breakfast next Saturday, this Saturday, and say, you know what, I want to I give my input. I want to, more than just my voice, I want to I participate. I want to see the men's ministry grow. It's not going to grow by accident. It's going to grow on purpose. And what we do will be on purpose. God has blessed us with property next door. He's entrusted to us. By his mercy, we got that property. And by his mercy, we will develop it. And no other way than the mercy of God. I'm excited of what God wants to do. I'm thankful for the many people who are already serving the Lord in so many ways. So many ways. I know Bob had 45 kids last night, our home, uh, and Wes sharing with them because he was willing to be a living sacrifice. To sacrifice of his goods to, so that God's word could be shared with these kids and so they could hear about the mercy of God. What a great thing. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.